0: Good morning. Good morning. We're going to go ahead and release our kids for Children's Church today, so they're headed out that way. If you've got a kid three years old through, uh, I think we're doing second grade now, so they can go and head, um, head out that way. I will say, uh, this is the first time, at least since I've been here, today's sermon has a parental advisory. I'll get to that in a minute. Um, and so I'm not going to use any colorful or, or off-color language, but I can't promise the screen won't. So, they'll be asterisks. <laughs> um, but, so if you don't usually send your kid, you may want to. It won't be too bad. All of you who are left in here will be fine, I'm sure. You can handle it. Uh, but it's good to be here together this morning. It's good to be back. Always good to be, to be back after a couple of, of weeks away. And so, I'm grateful for, I, I heard great things um, about what uh, Lyle and, and Katie Ann shared uh, while we were away. And so, grateful for them and their willingness to do that. And uh, we had good rejuvenating time away, and it's good to be back together. Uh, we also do want to say happy Father's Day to all our, our dads and, and families. And uh, yes, we know that, I know that like, like Mother's Day, there are similar emotions that come into play on Father's Day for some of us. We're here rejoicing and, and, and celebrating uh, either our children and a relationship with our children or, or our dads and, and the impact that they've had on our lives. Uh, but we know there are many others for whom Father's Day is a confusing day, maybe a day of grief, of mourning, of anger, of regret, all kinds of, of different things. So so whatever it is that you are going through this morning, maybe this is the first Father's Day without your dad or uh, or something along those lines. And so we, uh, we hope that today is a place of, of comfort if that is what you are here in need of today. Um, and we are here today worshiping and celebrating uh, the father of love is that video expressed to us. And so we join in creation today in worshiping and proclaiming this, this God, this father of love. And so we, we are grateful for that. Uh, so I, I gave one disclaimer about the sermon already uh, that we're going to look at and maybe some interesting word choices today. And I'll come back to that in just a minute. Uh, But one other disclaimer that I kind of want to begin with, because as I said, uh, so we're going to look at at what I think are some interesting word choices that Paul has in some of his writings today. We're beginning a series on Paul, and I wanted to do this uh, in part because I think a lot of our theology, a lot of the things that we think about faith and about church, about scripture, are based on the writings of Paul. Uh, And so I think sometimes it's kind of good to kind of step back and say, so what do we know about this guy? Um, and, and what insight can, can kind of looking at Paul give us on his letters, his writings, and, and how he would have us to think about Jesus, church, faith, scripture, all that kind of stuff. And so we're going to start, today is going to be kind of part one of, of really a two-part sermon in, at the beginning of this kind of short four-week series. And you may think that it's going to be a little different in terms of content and structure, but you may think it maybe lacks some substantive kind of nature of, of others Because we're really just going to be kind of talking about word choice. But really, that's going to be kind of a metaphor for some larger scale things that I think we see in Scripture and in Paul's writings. Uh, But as we're going through some of this, I know a question that may come up up in some of your minds. What about Ephesians 4.29? Even if you don't know that reference, you've probably heard it before. So here's what Ephesians 4.29 says. Uh, It says, Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building up others according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. If you can keep that up here for just a second, Jamie, because I think a lot of times when we talk about this verse, uh, we talk about it simply in connection with word choice, and here's why you shouldn't use coarse, colorful, vulgar language, right? Because Paul says, don't let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth. But for our context today, I think it's important to remember the rest of the verse, He says, only what is helpful for building up others according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. And I think that's primarily the point that Paul is getting at. Not so much about the the exact words of what is in your language, but what is the purpose of your language? How are you using your language, your speech, your vocabulary? Is it being used to serve others, to build others up, to encourage others? Or is it being used to tear others down and insult others and belittle others and just being vulgar for the, for the point of being vulgar? Uh, so I think that's important to remember as we go through here. Uh, and we look at some interesting word choices that Paul uses, but I think all of them are built around this idea of, of speaking to what he feels like are the needs of his readers. And there's this common theme that we're going to see all throughout Paul's words today, and we're really going to come back to kind of the, the foundation of this part next week, but all of it is built around there are people trying to, to tear some of his readers away from Christ and to go and seek their righteousness, their justice, their redemption, in something else other than Christ. And Paul wants to make this strong point that anything that does that needs to be spoken against strongly. So strongly, I'm going to use some words like skubalon, which may not mean anything to you yet, but we'll get to that. Uh, okay. So, that's where we're headed this morning. So, we're going to start in Philippians then. Philippians chapter 3. If you want to turn there with me, you can. Um, But, uh, at least this scripture that we're going to look at is going to be on the screen here as well. So, we're going to begin in Philippians 3, beginning in verse 1. Here, Paul says, Further, my brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. It is no trouble for me to write you these same things to you again, and it is a safeguard for you. Watch out for those dogs, those evildoers, those mutilators of the flesh. For it is we who are the circumcision, we who serve God by His Spirit, who boast in Christ Jesus, and who put no confidence in the flesh, though I myself have reasons for such confidence. All right, we're going to pause here for just a second, because already... uh, we find some word choice here that is very intentional um, and, and very interesting, especially when we look at it in the Greek. So for instance, in verse 2, Paul refers to mutilators of the flesh. And then the very next verse, he refers to, he says, we are the circumcision. And so these words mutilator and circumcision are very closely tied together in Greek. They sound very similar. So in Greek, that word for mutilators is the word katatome. Uh, circumcision is the word paratome so in our language these sound like very different words but when Paul's using them they sound very similar and so Paul is saying there are people who think that they are doing well in being the circumcision group but actually those people are just mutilators of the flesh and if that metaphor is not clear for you yet I promise it will be later <laughs> Paul, make sure you really get it in Galatians. We're going to get there in a minute. Uh, And so Paul says, and while we're at it, if you want to compare fleshly resumes, if you want to hold up resumes that that we have in in terms of of who we are in our fleshly selves and beings, my resume will beat all of yours. Uh, And we're going to, like I said, we're going to come back to the specific list next week. But picking back up, here's here's what he says. If someone thinks they have reason to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day, of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law of Pharisee, as for zeal, persecuting the church, as for righteousness, based on law, faultless. Seven things that he says, these will beat anything you can throw up against me. I've, I've got it all you want to throw up your resume of, hey, I'm, I'm righteous because of who I am as a person, because of who I am as, of my ethnicity, my race, my, my gender, my education, whatever it is, you want to throw all that up against me, I can, I can beat your resume. He says, But whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, For whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ. And so there's an escalation now in what Paul says. He starts off by saying, This list that I gave you, I used to consider this list of things profitable for me. This is the list that I clung to. And I thought, I've I've got these things, and this is what makes me great. This is what makes me special. This used to be in my profit column. And he says, after I came to Christ, I moved all those things to the lost column. Because compared to Christ, these things mean nothing. Then he escalates it once more, and he says, in fact, compared to Christ, everything is meaningless. Nothing has meaning, meaning or worth compared to Christ. And then finally, he hits with the big one, where he says, I consider them scubalon. Uh, now, that word that probably doesn't mean anything to you in my Bible, it says, I consider them garbage. And that sounds like, you know, okay, I get what he's saying there. But it doesn't, it it gets the picture, but not really fully, I don't think. And so, I want you to listen. This is how, um, this is the New International Dictionary of New Testament Theology. I tell you that just because it sounds very academic. Um, So, (laughs) Uh, We're going to get to the exact definition of on in a minute, but listen to how they describe this word's meaning. So this is from this dictionary. It says, nastiness and decay are the constant elements of its meaning. It is a coarse, ugly, violent word implying worthlessness, uselessness, and repulsiveness. Uh, So when we think of a word like garbage, garbage implies worthlessness uh, and uselessness. It does not imply repulsiveness. It is not a violent, ugly, coarse word. So garbage kind of gets close, but not really fully. Uh, and so then we get to the exact definition of scubalon. Scubalon literally refers to poop. Uh, it refers to excrement. Uh, your King, if you're using the King James Version, you will see it refers to this word as dung. But even that doesn't really fully get it. Because again, this is a coarse, violent ugly word for poop and you may can see where we're going with this right it's a word that we might think of i told you the screen has a potty mouth today it may be a word we could think of like this you can fill in those letters i might could get away with saying this in a sermon i couldn't get away with saying this one which is probably closer to what paul is talking about here now let me let you off the hook here because you may be thinking that's a little too far we're going to come back to that later Uh, i can't picture paul say that we're going to come back to that later (laughs) Uh, some would say this is, this is a little too strong. Um, actually, it's probably more like the previous one, uh, but some would say, no, it's pretty close to this one. Um, there are a lot of other factors that play into that as far as our interpretation of Scripture and what we think of Scripture, all that. And admittedly, it's hard to look back a couple thousand years on the other side of the world and see what is the exact connotation of a word because word connotations change, right, over time. Uh, either way, this is a... a coarse, violent, ugly word that is only used once in the New Testament. This is the only time it's used. Um, And and this sort of meaning of the word is even sort of still accepted today. So for instance, there's a book that I think recently came out. Um, It's actually, it's about a futuristic look at Texas politics, which could go a number of different directions. Uh, I can't vouch for the book at all as to the contents of the book, but this is the title of the book, Scubalon storm. <laughs> if you don't connect with that yet, ask somebody later. <laughs> um, this, is the, this is the name of the book, because this is the connotation of this word. And, and so I think that connotation would fit with how we use that word. Maybe you don't use that word. Others use words like that in culture, right? That some words like that can refer to literal poop, but they can also refer to just other things that I consider nasty and worthless and repulsive um, and, and things that I don't want to have anything to do with, right? That thing is just, it's, it's poop. Get it away from me. Uh, it also connects with the context of what Paul is talking about because get this, Paul has been talking in this chapter about what is produced by the flesh, right? That, that this is what I have in the flesh. This is what all of my fleshly stuff adds up to. But in the end, you want to know what the flesh produces? Scubalon. <laughs> Poop. <laughs> Compared to Christ, everything else is scubalon. Um, that is intentionally, I think, emotionally provocative, brash, and is designed to hit you in the face. And we, we lose that context with a word like garbage. It gets at kind of the, the general meaning but it, man, it lacks a punch that Scubalon has. <laughs> uh, so we're going to look at one other passage in Galatians. Galatians 5. On the way there, there, there are a lot of, of if you want to go ahead and turn there, you can, because this one's not going to be on the screen. There are a lot of other, or there, there are some other, I won't say a lot, uh, but a couple of other things that we could look at in some of Paul's writings. They get at the same thing. For instance, in Romans 6, uh, Romans 6 has this famous phrase by, by Paul where he says, by no means. Um, and what that loses is in the Greek, by no means, is an, an idiom that implies the strongest sense of, of, of a denial that you can have and implies this outrage and this, this kind of outraged, outraged indignation. And would be similar to, in our context, someone saying this, no. You can fill that in with C-K or L-L, either fits. But Paul is saying no, okay? Uh, that gets translated to by no means. Again, loses some of its punch. Uh, Okay, so over in Galatians, Galatians 5. Uh, I wanted to hit that one quickly because this one in Galatians 5 keeps with this same theme of what we're seeing in Philippians. Uh, And so in Galatians, Paul is dealing with a lot of the same stuff that he's dealing with in Philippians. There are people who are coming along trying to say, actually your righteousness is tied to things like circumcision, adherence to the law, than it is to Christ. And Paul just kind of lets in on them he says at the beginning of chapter 3, we're going to pick up in 5, but back in chapter 3, he says, You foolish Galatians, why have you let people come in and do this to you? Uh, in chapter 3, at one point, he says, After beginning by means of the Spirit, uh, are you now trying to finish by means of the flesh? So again, we've got this competition that Paul is dealing with between living in the Spirit and living in the flesh. And so we get to chapter 5. Uh, and he begins chapter 5. By saying, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. Uh, Skip down then to verse 5. He says, for through the Spirit we eagerly await by faith a righteousness for which we hope. For in Christ Jesus neither circumcision nor uncircumcision has any value. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. You were running a good race. Who cut in on you to keep you from obeying the truth? That kind of persuasion does not come from the one who calls you. A little yeast works through the whole batch of dough. I am confident in the Lord that you will take no other view. The one who is throwing you into confusion, whoever that may be, will have to pay the penalty. Brothers and sisters, if I am still preaching circumcision, why am I still being persecuted? In, the, uh, in that case, the offense of the cross has been abolished. As for those agitators, I wish they would go the whole way and emasculate themselves. Okay, so we're going to come back next week a little bit to why is circumcision so important to Paul. Because that fits into kind of part two of this thing. But did you catch what Paul said in verse 12? <laughs> um I've, I've never read verse 12 this way. I don't know why. Again, I think a lot of it is because we, we kind of have what we expect Scripture to be. Uh, but Paul is very frustrated with these people who are, just can't let go of circumcision. And so finally in verse 12, he says, These people who just cannot get past this circumcision thing, I wish they would go all the way and emasculate themselves. The word emasculate there means to amputate or cut off. And so he says these people who are trying to obtain righteousness by circumcision through the cutting of circumcision I wish they would just keep cutting Again if that metaphor doesn't fit yet hit you yet <laughs> someone will explain it later but happy father's day to the fathers <laughs> It's a squeamish father's day in church right why did he have to talk about about keeping on cutting like that's this is harsh Paul is saying some pretty rough stuff here that you can just keep cutting if that's what you're tying your righteousness to and I think for most of us this is not the way we picture Paul talking right (laughs) Uh, some of that gets lost in translation some of it we just don't expect to find in the bible I think But Paul is warning his readers in both of these books against what he thinks are really dangerous teachings. And in both cases, he's attempting to wake up his readers to that fact with some strong, emotionally provocative language. Uh, And so these letters would have been sent to churches uh, and so what would happen typically is people would gather in a house, Like you know, they, churches typically met in houses, they would gather in a house and someone bringing the letter for Paul as a messenger would read this letter out loud, almost as like we would think of as a dramatic reading or a monologue or something like that in a play. Um, and so Paul would even usually, in the, the, the writer of the letter, whoever it is, Paul or somebody else, would instruct this messenger even how to read the letter in many cases, I want you to emphasize this, I want you to pause after this, make sure they hear this word, this phrase, and so somebody's reading this letter, and I just imagine them getting to these parts in the letter and everybody else looking around like, kind of like we would. Like, can Paul say that? Is that, is that okay? <laughs> what are we supposed to do? Uh, because this stuff is designed to just hit you in the face. And so we've got a couple of questions, at least that I think of, when I think of parts of Paul's writings like this. One, so why would Paul be so strong with his language? Uh, and part of that is because he really wants them to get this point, point. Um, and, and part of that we're going to come back to next week is, is just the importance of which he is placing his, this material under. Uh, but then I also think of, and this answer may be sort of obvious, why don't we have some of that stronger language in our Bibles? <laughs> uh, why garbage instead of those words that were up there earlier? And I don't know all the translation choices that people make in that. Generally, those translations are written for, like, people say, like, a middle school age range for readability, middle school readability. So you don't word, want words like scuba on showing up in a, <laughs> in a Bible, right? And generally, I think those are just kind of outside of what we think of as biblical language, right? Those don't fit within how we think of Scripture, And so this morning, this is where I say it kind of extends now to a bigger conversation. Because I think a lot of times, um, we've got a box. And we've got a box that Scripture kind of fits into. Um, Whether or not you think about it this way, I think most of us have a box. And we've got a box that we think, this is what I expect to find in Scripture, or this is what I think Scripture says. And so we have Scripture in this box. Uh, and our boxes are different sizes, they may be different shapes, they may look differently depending on, on how we read scripture, depending on, on how long we've been a Christian, uh, depending on a number of different factors, our backgrounds, our teaching, whatever it may be, but we've all got scripture in some kind of a box. We've got things that we expect to find in our scripture box and we've got things that we expect not to. Um, poop is a thing that we may not expect to find in our scripture box. Paul saying, it, compared to Jesus, everything else is just poop, is something maybe we wouldn't expect to find in our, in our Scripture box. And so what do we do when we come across things that, I didn't, I didn't have that in my Scripture box. So what do I do with that? Uh, that can include trivial things like Paul's specific wording of whether it's garbage, poop, rubbish, dung, excrement, or something stronger. That may seem sort of trivial, uh, but I think it paints a picture of something that happens to us on higher stake scales, right? That sometimes we come across new information that causes us to think, oh, that wasn't really in my scripture box. <laughs> what, do I, what do I do with that? Maybe we, we start reading the Bible for ourselves and realize there's some stuff that's in there that, that we didn't know, uh, and there's some stuff we thought was in there that, that isn't really actually in there. Uh, maybe we come across the experiences and the stories of others, and we think, that's not how, that's not how I read the Bible. That's not in my scripture box. So what do I, what do, I do with that? Uh, I've had several box rethinking moments in my life, and I think box rethinking moments are good to us and needed for our faith, and, and I think it's important to, to remember Uh, That Scripture is enduring, but boxes aren't. Uh, There are a number of box-changing and rethinking moments in Scripture. Uh, We're going to get to Paul's big one next week. Um, But if you want to read one in a nice, concise fashion, you can go read Acts chapter 10 later today, which is about uh, uh, Peter's Scripture box just getting blown out of proportion. Uh, boxes, uh, scripture isn't doing during, boxes aren't. And sometimes we can get scared that someone is, is changing or, or, or losing their faith in Scripture, or whatever you may, you may want to praise that, when what's happening is they're rethinking their box. It's not that they're losing Scripture, it's that they're rethinking their box. And as I said, I've had many of these moments in my life, many moments where I've thought, okay, the box that I've had Scripture in, doesn't fit anymore. So what needs to happen to my box? And each of those moments have only served to enrich and deepen my love for Scripture, my appreciation for Scripture, my appreciation for the depths that we find in Scripture, the mystery that we find in Scripture, and and the ways in which we are called to engage with Scripture, I think. Maybe you've had similar moments uh, maybe those moments have been related to something of uh, worship practices or just interpretation of scripture built around worship practices. Sometimes things happen in our families or to ourselves, right? Maybe someone we know or, or we ourselves go through a divorce. That causes us to think, what, what, what does that mean for my scripture box? Uh, someone we know comes out as gay maybe, and now we've got to think, that doesn't fit in my scripture box, what do I do? This happens in our families. It happens with our friends. Uh, someone comes to us and says, uh, maybe they're from a different uh, race or ethnicity, and they say, you know, uh, I hear you saying this about this scripture, but but actually, I read it this way. What that, that causes us to rethink our box. Someone says, you're looking for righteousness in all these other places, but actually, it's only found in Jesus. What do we what do we do with our box? And in those situations, our box doesn't always change. But I want to encourage us to always be willing to rethink our box in those moments, because our faith can only be strengthened. Either I come, become more convinced in the thoughts of Scripture I already had, or my box starts to look a little different. Either way, my faith is now more grounded than it was before, because I was willing to take the step to rethink my box. Uh, So I want to encourage us to never be defensive about rethinking our box. And when we have those moments, maybe you had a tinge of a moment this morning where you were like, oh no, Paul can't say the S word. (laughs) In those moments, to maybe pause and say, why do I think that and am I willing to consider someone else's story or experience or interpretation to think about, is is that because my box needs to look a little bit different? Uh, It can happen in trivial ways like word choice, but it can happen in other higher state cases too. And so I want to encourage us as we close this morning with a couple of final thoughts about what Paul is doing, I think, in these specific verses. Um, and, and why I think he does this. And what I think we can use as kind of a template for as we strive to think well about Scripture and the box that we have around Scripture. And one of those is that Paul comes to his readers um, pretty unassumedly, and he says, listen, I am only coming to you with Jesus, nothing else. He says, again, he has that list. He says, I could come to you with a lot of other stuff, but I am choosing to only come to you with Jesus. So this, for instance, is what he says about that in, in 1 Corinthians. Uh, he says, so it is with me, brothers. There's a lot of stuff leading up to this that we're not going to get into. Uh, but he says, "When I came to you, I did not come with eloquence or human wisdom as I proclaim to you the testimony about God." Remember, this is a guy who's had as much Jewish training as anyone around, and he says, "I gave all that up. I consider that scubalon compared to Christ, so I'm not using it anymore. Uh, I gave it all up. For I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I came to you in weakness, with great fear and trembling. My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power so that your faith might not rest on human wisdom but on God's power. So in this, in this strong, emotionally evocative language, I think part of what Paul is trying to get across is, look, anything besides Christ is, is worthless, it's meaningless. And I want you to get that as strongly as you can because this is what our faith is tied to. And, and I think we see this picture of Paul saying, I want to be as open and transparent, as authentic with you as I can. And so as we strive in community to, to think about our boxes and to think about Scripture, uh, we're encouraged to do so with openness and honesty and transparency with, w- amongst each other. Uh, we talked about this on Wednesday night, of, of how refreshing it was, if you've been with us on Wednesday nights in this series that we've been doing, to have people from our church family be willing to, to sit up on this stage and share uh, openly and transparently about their lives, their struggles, um, their, their obstacles in life, and to do so with openness, uh, because that's what is needed, is for us willing to get out of our own boxes um, and to join with each other and to share with each other so that we can encourage and strengthen and uplift each other through the Spirit's. Power as we strive to come to know Jesus in deeper ways together. Uh, and so I think this is an encouragement from Paul for us to just be open and honest and genuine and authentic with each other as we say, look, I, I just want to explore this together um, in, in ways that are just real and, and raw um, and, and genuine. And then the most important thing is he says, if anything, if you are seeking your righteousness in anything but Christ, then you're going to be in your own scuba scuba lone storm at some point. Uh, You've got to turn away from that. Uh, Your righteousness is found in Christ. And so next week, what we're going to come to is, is how does Paul, who's got this list of stuff that he's tied to in his Jewishness, how does he turn from that? And he has this completely uh, box-shattering moment where he turns from that to saying this. All I need is Jesus. I don't need any of that other stuff. That's where we're going to go next week. So you come back for, for part two of that. Um, but our hope, our, our redemption, our righteousness is found in Christ. Um, and each Sunday we come together to celebrate that and to celebrate around the table in that, in the communion meal. And so as we share in communion this morning, uh, I want to invite you uh, to, to remember Christ, to remember what he has done for us, um, and to, to encourage us to, to really examine ourselves and to say, am I seeking my righteousness in anything other than Christ? Um, and is there anything standing between me and Christ? If so, maybe I need to rethink my box um, and to be open to ways in which Christ is leading us forward in our faith. And so, if you would, I, th- I think we got another song here, right? Yeah, okay. Uh, so yeah, the band wants to come back up. As Jim said at the beginning, we're kind of flying by the seat of our pants this morning. They didn't, didn't they do great for winging it on the fly? Yeah. So we're very appreciative of that. And so uh, we're going to sing another song uh, before we get into uh, our sharing of communion together. So if you would stand, we'll sing, and then we'll share in the communion meal together this morning. prayer of confession together as we uh, prepare to share in communion. I'll pray the parts in white and together we'll say the pr- parts in yellow. Our Father, we confess to each other and to you, our Creator, that we fall short of being what we were created to be and what we, ourselves, and what we have committed ourselves to be. Hear us, forgive us, renew our resolve to build the kingdom of Christ. We often seek out the easiest paths, paths of least involvement in places where we might be uncomfortable, or paths of self-centeredness. Hear us, forgive us, renew our resolve to build the kingdom of righteousness. We confess that we have not loved you with all our heart, with all our soul, with all our mind, and with all our strength. Bring us out of darkness, Lord, and into the light of your love. Hear us, forgive us, renew our resolve to build the kingdom of light. Forgive us for getting so caught up in the world's trappings and its false messages of hope that we lose sight of the hope of the kingdom, which brings healing and peace to a world in turmoil. Hear us, forgive us, renew our resolve to build the kingdom of peace. May we resolve to become more kingdom-minded, to be peacemakers here and now. Amen. You may be seated.